Hello and welcome back to The Simplicity of Happiness. This is episode number four in which I will talk about my first week of walking through Sahara after my month and month of preparation. As I told you in the last episode, it has already been quite an adventure for me to prepare for my Sahara trip. After six months of concentration, focus and training, I was standing with my backpack in the middle of nowhere waiting for a guide to lead me into the right direction. The sun had just risen and the night before I camped in the backyard in Mamid and... I was woken up by the donkeys that morning, which was already quite a strange feeling. The day before, I had decided with Yahya to walk for the first 15 kilometers with a guide so that he can show me the way from town or village because the uh, first uh, 15 kilometers are quite hard to find the direction since landmarks are absolutely missing. At least they were missing for me. The plan was that he was going to leave me on my own on the second on the second day, so the next morning, and go back to Mamid while I was trying to cross the salt lake and reach the village Fumsquit on the other side of the Dust Bowl, about a hundred kilometer in direct distance. My guide, roughly about a meter and fifty in size, was called Muhammad and spoke nothing but Arabic. Well, maybe he spoke some Berber dialect or something, but nothing that I could really understand. And he guided a camel that carried enough water for him. And, well, that kept me thinking, when even the nomad was going to take more water than he could carry, I started to worry a little about my own water supplies. We left early and it started to be hot very soon. I found out later that the spring 2013 was an unusual hot one. Hot even for Sahara. Soon I, I took out the water bottle and I kept it in my hand to take a zip every five to, five to ten minutes. It was hot as hell and I wasn't going to put my bottle away for the next weeks. But I, I didn't know that yet. I just couldn't figure out how Muhammad was even finding his way. The dunes at that point weren't big, but there was not really anything that could lead the way, not to mention of any tracks or even other people. It wasn't before my fourth trip to the Sahara in 2015 that I realized that these landmarks did exist. They are just not as obvious as I expected them to be. Mostly the people in the desert are using the few trees that you can see on the horizon for such. In a region where there are only very few trees inside, you will remember the different look of every single one of them. You just have to imagine a city that you are familiar with. And if I would drop you at any place, you will recognize 
the buildings and you will immediately know where you are and how you get back home. And this is how they feel when you put them somewhere in the desert. It's just important that they have been there before. I felt like you put me in a in a city that I have never seen before. I could see the buildings or the trees that they look different, but that wouldn't help me at all. And this is how I felt in uh, early 2013. At that time, I had seen the scenery near Mamit for the very first time. And while we were walking through it, I started to worry a little bit because I had no idea how I was going to find my way on the very next day. But first, I had to learn a lesson about going to bed in the desert. When I had seen a picture or books about adventurers before I left for Sahara, I remember seeing people put up their tents at the most beautiful places. And so it was a no-brainer for me to take my tent with me. It, it actually made up a big portion of my luggage, but um, oh, I knew I wasn't going to sleep in a hotel, so that's why I took my tent, which I had to carry with me at all time. Well, not Muhammad, though. He just took the blanket from the camel's saddle, put it on the floor, lay down on the blanket and covered himself with the very same. You have to know, back in Germany, when I was preparing, I thought that I was a tough guy. For my friends, it was unbelievable that I planned a solo trip to the desert. And, and now I was about to be the, the chicken myself in the desert. And I thought, shall I really take out my tent if there was, well, obviously, absolutely no need to do so? Guess what? I didn't put it up. From now on, I slept in the sand for the following weeks. And I was still carrying my tent all the time. You have to know that before my trip, I was afraid of dark, especially being alone in the dark. So beforehand, the thought about sleeping alone in the dark in the, in the desert was kind of horrifying to me. Still, it was And so were the following nights a beautiful night under the star-sprinkled sky. Nothing but the moaning camel lying 10 meters next to me in the sand. But it turned out to be so peaceful because, you know, there are no people running around. There are no animals running around. You're just on your own. And it's just, well, it's you and the sky and maybe some wind. Good thing about the desert is that you don't have mosquitoes at night. Although you have literally your, your private escort of flies hanging out with you for the whole day, they go to sleep as soon as the sun sets. And since you don't have the mosquitoes, as soon as the sun sets, you can light the fire, you can just sleep in the open, you are not bothered by anything. And after I got up in the morning... It meant saying goodbye to Muhammad, who left into the unknown and walked back to Mamit with his camel. Or, well, maybe he hung up in the desert for a little longer. Um, and I just had to leave in the opposite direction. 
and I had no idea um, where exactly I'm going. He just pointed the direction. He said, oh, just go on and you will find some uh, tracks and then you follow them. And that was a strange feeling because when I, when I pictured the tour before my departure, I always saw myself walk out of a village and I thought that I would just need to remember carefully which route I'm taking so that I could walk back if I feared that I could get lost. But now I had no idea how to find my way back to the village since I had no idea what Muhammad used for navigation the day before. Fortunately, I just needed to walk, well, for another 10 or 15 minutes and I saw track signs on the ground and um, I've kept on following them from there on. Yahya told me that uh, these tracks will lead me to an oasis where I could refill my water. Talking of which, the water almost broke my neck. When I trained for the trip and checked how much water I need, and when I read articles before on how much water other people would need, I calculated with about six to five to six liters per day. And what I actually used was way more like eight liters a day. And if, if I had st stuck to six liters, then that would have been enough water for about two and a half days. That means I can keep on walking for two and a half days until I need to find water. But eight liters was much closer to one and a half days. So that means I definitely had to find a water fountain every day to fill up my supply. And because I was so so afraid, I, I topped up my water to the limit every every time that I found a um, a water fountain. And um, that made me carry a 13 kilogram of water extra to my luggage all the time. So my, my backpack literally was a burden to me. So I was just trying to keep moving. And I, I hope to see the oasis soon. About 10 kilometers away, I found it around noon and everything was as promised. I could fill up my water. I met some tourists that showed me... Um, Their maps, funny, they arrived by 4x4 or moto cross bikes and, and, and I was the only guy showing up there by feet. So it was kind of a funny situation already. But it was good to meet them at the very beginning because they gave me a better feeling of what was lying ahead of me since they were coming the other direction. And it's unbelievable how helpful people are that you meet at such remote places. It is as if we are getting on our nerves in the crowded places and therefore don't treat ourselves good anymore. The less people you meet, the more friendly they seem to be. At one place, I went to a family of nomads to ask for the way and, and they wanted to invite me for tea. And um, well, I, I didn't stay for tea, but um, it's just if you meet somebody, you're absolutely friendly to them. From the oasis on navigation um, turned out to be much easier than expected. At this part of the desert, there was no sand, but mostly rocks um, and dried up mud. So tracks of cars didn't vanish by the wind, but they stayed for years. And most of them were just uh, 
connecting the two remote villages on both sides of the Great Dust Bowl. So all I needed to do was follow the majority of the tracks and keep on walking. Every once in a while, I saw a car in the distance or a small group of camels followed by a, a nomad who was watching them. And most of the time, I was just on my own, with my own thoughts. And it's funny how much is happening in your brain when it's not occupied by anything else. I started to realize how small every human is on this planet and, and, and how unspectacular every single one of them well, is if you, if you look at, at the whole. When I planned the trip, I thought that I was going to be an adventurous guy and somebody special. When I was in the desert on my own, I didn't feel special at all. It was more like the feeling of a kid who missed his last bus home from school and now had to walk with a backpack that was way too heavy for him. Well, I found a place to stay at night and um, so I got up in the next morning, prepared some breakfast, got my stuff together and started walking until I had to rest. Around noon, I looked for a tree to take uh, the three-hour rest in the shade because it's just too hot when the uh, sun is um, right above you. And um, then I walked until dawn again from around three in the afternoon. When it was about time, I looked for a place that was a little hidden. So people, well, actually, what people are going to show up still, I, I tried to look for a hidden place so that people couldn't see me right away. And still, funny enough, although I thought that I was hidden, people showed up. Sometimes they wanted to give me a ride. Sometimes they wanted to invite me for dinner with their family. Sometimes they just wanted to say hello and, well, drink a tea. And one noon, while I was having a nap, two sisters and their brother showed up with a really big knife and a big axe. And I woke up, I was like, okay, hello, where am I here? The three were only between 10 and 12 years old guy called Muhammad again, sisters Fatima and Aisha. And they tried to tell me that they were looking for the camels, um, which I couldn't see at all, and that they had to bring them home later. And except for their, well, little weapons, they started digging around with them. They were all carrying a bottle of water and one mobile phone that could play some music. So since they were absolutely not afraid to see a stranger, um, they were so curious that they stayed around for half an hour, took my cell phone, showed me some music, made some photos of themselves, tried to find music on my photo uh, on, on my cell phone. And then when they got bored, they gave it back, said goodbye, left, and I never saw them again. Another day, I somehow got lost. There was a point when I should have turned left after a remote building uh, to cross the big dried up salt lake, but I went on straight and I completely lost the tracks. And after trying to find my way for about five hours, I discovered camels. And so I started searching for the nomad who I thought was watching them. And um, 
After I finally found him, we sat down for a little talk, had a coffee. Well, little talk. He was only speaking Arabic and me none at all. So we were trying to communicate with, with hand and feet. I found out the right track. He showed me how to get there. He told me how far it is to the to Fumskuit. He told me where I can find water. And um, he gave me his name. Well, once again, Mohammed. And he wrote down his cell phone number because he had a cell phone. And he told me, he made clear that whenever I have any question, I can call him. Well, I still don't know how I could talk to him on the phone when I don't have hands and feet. But um, friendly, friendly as always. During all that time, I never met anybody who was in a hurry or stress. Although they all had their stuff to do. They had stuff to do to, to survive. But it didn't matter if they start a little earlier or later. They just had to do it at some time. And it was amazing for me to see that people there, they need almost no gadgets and still appear to be happy. They don't have much more than the clothes. They are wearing the bottle of water and maybe some tools they would need for anything. For them, the greatest place to live is out there in the desert. And they seem to be happy and thankful all the time. Because I had been so excited the days before I left. And well, then I was excited for finding my way. I forgot about all my troubles back home as well. And I forgot all the stress from work and I was completely here and out. It was only about doing the next step, putting one foot in front of the other in the desert. For the first time in years, I was at peace with myself. The only thing that I started worrying about were my feet. I had really trained a lot, but I had not expected it to be so rocky. And When I was training, it had never been so hot and my feet and hands were swollen most of the time, which wasn't a big deal for my hands, but my feet didn't fit well in my shoes anymore. And combined with being sweaty all day, I developed some severe and deep blisters over some days. My last day, I could only walk with pain reliever. And one afternoon after being on tour for a week, about 20 kilometers before the next village, I had to rest under the only small bush I had seen for hours. It was about three in the afternoon and I planned to reach the village the very next day. Although I had no idea how to ever get up again. When I heard a noise from which sounded to be the biggest truck ever. It was a little hilly at that place and really stony, so I couldn't see anything. And the uh, vehicle obviously wasn't coming closer very fast because it was still behind the hill. And I heard it about 20 minutes or so until it slowly, slowly showed up. The first car I had seen in days, in the middle of nowhere. And it was a 1978 Mercedes-Benz 4x4 truck built into an off-road off mobile home 
from Hamburg, Germany. Four Germans in it who offered me a drink and a ride to the next village. I agreed and was saved for the day. As I said before, you just meet the nicest people at the remotest places. What I did not know at that time was that this was just the beginning of just another adventure, which I'm going to tell you in the next episode. Until then, do me the favor and think about your personal heroes. As I mentioned in the last episode, I am going to start with a interview series soon about people who are an inspiration to your life. So if you have an idea, drop me a note, send me an email. I'm more than happy to get back to you and interview those people. Until then, as always, keep in mind, focus on what matters most in your life, because you only live once. <laughs>